welcome to another episode of Operation Sequel. This time it's Final Fantasy 13-2. FF 13-2 was released for the PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360 in December of 2011, and then it hit North America in January of 2012, and Australia and Europe both got it in February. This has been ported to both Windows and iOS Android. The director was a Matomo Toriyama. The producer was... that doesn't matter. <clears throat> the artist was Isamu Kamakuro again. The writer was Daisuke Watanabe. The composers were Naoshi Mizuda, Masashi Hamauzu, and Misuru Suzuki. Now the blurb this time will come straight from the manual, because luckily enough these aren't very expensive to get. She embraced her destiny and fought the false gods who would enslave humanity. It was a battle that changed the world. A brave few defeated the foul sea and saved mankind from destruction. Without the power of the gods to hold it aloft, Cocoon fell from the sky, and the cradle of humanity became locked in a frozen embrace with Grand Pulse, the realm of monsters. The tyranny of the gods was lifted and a new age began. But she did not see the new dawn. She disappeared at the very moment of her triumph. They all believed she was gone forever, never to return. Everyone, that is, except Sarah Farron. She clung to a different truth. Three years have passed. One clear night, a meteorite strikes Grand Pulse and shatters the peace of the new era. Space-time becomes distorted and terrible monsters attack through rifts in the fabric of time. In the chaos that ensues, Sarah is saved from death by a young stranger called Noel. He says he is a hunter who has crossed time and space to find her. Come with me, he says. We will travel the timeline and find your sister. Lightning! Could she be alive? Could her beloved sister really be in the world of chaos and death, fighting to save a dying goddess? It does not take long for Sarah to make the fateful decision. She accepts the weapon that Lightning has gifted her and resolves to follow this stranger into the future. So as it's hinted to there, yeah, 13-2 uh, is kind of like this weird blend between like Time Cop, Final Fantasy, little bit of Cable from the X-Men thrown in there. It's kind of this weird melange of things, and I didn't really see the story taking this kind of turn after 13. But we'll get into more of that later. Right now, let's do the usual, you know, mechanics and stuff. So what's changed here, right? Uh, actually, it has changed enough to where it warrants merit. The battle system is still the same, and like I said on Final Fantasy 13 proper, I'm not a big fan of this battle system. However, if you're not a fan of this battle system, they have at least added difficulty selections. I believe that was PC only in the last game. Uh, personally, I played it on normal, and I didn't run into too much difficulty, so I think things are tuned a little differently. Enemies did not have the same spongy feeling that they did in Final Fantasy XIII. And I've got to find a way to abbreviate that, because that's going to get old fast. So, what are some of the new things that this brings? Well, first of all, it, it kind of does what Final Fantasy X-2 did. Whew, took me a second, I almost said X-2. It now brings monsters into the fray. As in, you have Noel and Sarah, and when you defeat a monster, you have a chance of obtaining its crystal, and that lets you use it in the party. Now, each monster has its own role. So, you know, you'll have a commando monster and a ravager monster. You'll never find say, a, one monster that is a commando, and then the exact same monster that is a ravager, each animal has its own assigned class. So no matter how many you try to capture of that animal, it will always be that class. They also have their own crystariums. 
Now their Crystarium, uh, you know what? I should probably get into the whole big thing. So they did change Crystariums a little bit, right? So in FF13, you had the Crystarium where you would choose to level a role and the Crystariums would change you know, you had a separate Saboteur Crystarium than you did a, say, Ravager Crystarium. In this, you only have one Crystarium, and you use different classes to level it up. Uh, that didn't come out as helpful as I thought. Okay, so you follow a constellation, right? And you have large nodes and small nodes. The large nodes will confer bonuses depending on what class you use to level up for that level. But let's say you're given a, a line with dots on it, right? You can choose to level the first dot as, say, a saboteur, but then the second dot as a ravager, and then the third dot as a commando. You're basically given blank nodes, and you choose what class goes into it. I think that's enough to explain. But the monsters basically have that kind of thing, except like weapons were before, they're fueled by drops. So enemies here, uh, another change, they will drop gill, they drop, you know, Crystarium points. You don't have to go farm for something you can sell for gill. You can just farm monsters, which I do like. That is a major bonus. But monsters will drop varying grades of drops for the monster Crystarium. It goes all the way from one to four. And, you know, some monsters, you know, they might have, like, this tag early peaker, which means they can only level to level 20. And you may have well-grown, which means they can level up to 70. Or you might have, uh, I forget what it's called, but levels lets you level a monster all the way up to 99. The only problem I had is most times monsters couldn't keep pace with Noel and Sarah. And I don't know if that's by design because the drops come fairly rarely. Like once you start getting into the higher end Crystarium monsters, you know, say you do a fight against a behemoth, it will only drop two, say, potent orbs, but you need, you know, four to go along each step of their Crystarium. So if you want to max out a monster, it's gonna take a pretty hefty degree of farming. One thing that is interesting is the level of customizability of these monsters. So uh, try to stick with me here. I'm not exactly the most articulate about explaining this. So every time you decide to, to level up a monster's node in their Crystarium, you can choose to have it level balanced. You can choose to have it level, you know, just their magic, just their attack, just their HP. And so while you get a baseline stat, you evolve it kind of the way you want. And you can even do that with Noel and Sarah's. It takes a little more work, but say you want Sarah to be a physical attacker and Noel to be a magic user primarily, you can shuffle their stats around. But it is something you really have to keep an eye on. You really can't go throwing points into it willy-nilly unless you know, you're know you at that point where you can just over-level things. So I like that there's now more thought placed into it. And you're also leveling a lot more, just quantity-wise. Like, I ended with a uh, 99 in Saboteur, a 99 in Ravager, a 99 in Medic, and a 99 in Commando for just Sarah. So, I mean, you're, you're really pumping levels into these things. And sadly, I didn't pay too much attention to what I was doing until about halfway through the game. And surprisingly, it didn't come back to bite me in the butt. I was okay with it at the end. I kind of, you know, 
didn't have that much of a struggle. I don't know, I might have been able to make it easier or maybe I was just over leveled, but I didn't run into any problems on normal difficulty. So it's not quite as demanding as Final Fantasy 13 is. Uh, weapon level ups are here, but they're not near as prevalent and the system is nothing more than well, kind of like Final Fantasy VIII, you know, just get a couple drops and pay some gill and you're good. Gill is nowhere near as starved as it was in FF13 base. So, again, it's very nice to have these options to work with that you used to. A lot of people complained about the linearity of the last game. And so they kind of went a 180 on this one, but in a very JRPG way. This isn't an open world as much as it's well it's like final fantasy x2 right you have these areas you can go to along different eras of the timeline so say you go to masayashif or uh, what's, what's the name of the place erba you go to it in say 500 af and then you go to it in 100 af now there's a downside and an upside to this the upside is it is very cool to see an area evolve or devolve depending on what area you know what era you go to that's very cool. I like that. And it kept things fairly fresh, right? Because different monsters would be there. Different NPCs would be there. But on the same token, it really is using a lot of assets over and over again. And that doesn't bother me too much personally, but even I noticed it. So I won't ding it for it, but keep that in mind if you decide to play this. You're going to see a lot of assets over and over again. That's also kind of my problem with the monster system, and it's a very small problem, is that you're seeing the same monsters over and over again. Sure, there will be different colors, and they will have different names. You know, they're just kind of like palette swap ninjas. They're all basically the same within a certain family, like the slugs, right? You know, you'll get one that's like the frag slug. Okay, that's cool, it's a commando. And then, you know, go a couple areas ahead, and oh, hey, it's the same slug, but now it's green, and it's, you know, a ravager. So you will run into that kind of thing. There's not a huge amount of variety when it comes to monsters. But the fact that it lets you, you know, get different colored chocobos and cactars, well, that's cool enough. They kind of balance themselves out, right? A uh, big difference between this and 13 is they want you to spend a lot of time here. So there are 160 fragments in this game and fragments are things you can use to gate story progress, but they're also side quest things, or you know, you kill a named mob, you'll get a fragment from it, or you just find it in a chest with the mog hunt ability. And while you'll only need, I think it's I think it was 40 something, you get from doing the main story, and that's all you think of it like stars from Mario. You really only need that to finish the game. You might be a little underpowered, but you know, you could probably do it. The fact that they have 160 of these things, they really want you to explore these maps 100% and make sure you fight all the monsters in an area and fill out your bestiary and... I mean, to the point where they even have rewards. Some of the, the later fragments are rewards from filling out maps 100% or filling a bestiary. So they really gave you a lot of things to do here. Like, there's a play... Uh, there's a casino here with Chocobo Racing and a whole bunch of like casino games, I didn't even touch it. I walked in and went, eh, I don't feel like gambling, and continued on with the story. But that was a whole part of the game that I didn't engage all that much with. So if you want something you can more sink your teeth into for a couple weeks and just live in this world, they definitely put in enough activities for you to do where you're not, you know, making your own fun. 
There are also ultra bosses that, while I don't think you need to be maxed out for them, you will need to put a good chunk of time into your character to defeat. So there are at least objectives in that end game. It doesn't do that Zelda thing where, you know, you get all powered up and then you got nothing to spend it on. Paradigm shifting is here, and of course it is a major part of this game. The tweaks they did to it, I really like. So you always have your two characters, Noel and Sarah, and then a monster of varying classes. Now you can set a paradigm pack, which means you can pick three monsters that you can use to rotate for that third slot. So you can't have all of the classes represented, but you can have a good number of them. So the number of paradigms you can futz with is, is kind of big. But the tweaking they did to it with having different AI stratagems available. So let's say you go Ravager, Ravager, Commando, right? You can choose to have Relentless Assault W or Relentless Assault Cross. Now Cross means it will focus on single targets. So if it's a synergist, it'll focus on the single target version of Protect instead of doing Protectka, which, wow, that's a very weird word to say. I don't think I've ever said that out loud before. Or, or you know, Shelga. That's a little better. The party-wide version instead of doing it individually. And W, well, did I screw that up? I think I did. Okay, so Cross is single target. It won't do Shelga. It'll do just Shell on each individual person. The W is for wide. So it does area of effect things. If it's a synergist, it will buff in an area. If it's a ravager, it will do Fira and Faraga as opposed to singling out one person. And these little tweaks actually help quite a bit. So, I mean, it, it might be worth it for you to say, have a W version of Relentless Assault for when you fight big groups of things and then a cross version with when you want to single things out. The chain gauge is also here again. I think that's just base, you know, Final Fantasy 13. It doesn't feel as hard to raise. So again, it's either I'm getting used to this battle system or they tweaked it a little bit. Things stagger faster. Damage numbers are bigger. It feels better this time. Uh, there are a few more little mechanics that I could talk about, like, you know, having feral abilities for each class or species, let's say species of monster. But it, it's not anything that would require any kind of explanation. It's just, oh, after this, you know, gauge fills up, pfft, there you go. You can use a special attack. So I think that's everything. Mechanically, it does better. Um, before we get into the rest of the game, mechanically, I think this is more sound than 13. 13's mechanics kind of frustrated with me with, with how uh, strict they were sometimes. And I, I think I mentioned that on like, you know, if you run into a wall, it's probably you not being malleable enough. It was not the game. Uh, the same thing here, except they're way more lenient in what they expect of you. You're not expected to master the combat the same way you were with, say, towards the end game of 13. So if you're looking to try out a Final Fantasy game, so far it seems like 13-2 would be the better one if you were interested in 13. It also does a very, very lengthy recap of what happened in 13 and the beginning and over the course of the game you can check things out. So while playing 13 helps because, you know, you get the little individual moments, if you didn't want to play 13, then you would very much grasp what happened in 13 by the end of this game. So don't worry too much if you just decide to hop into 13 too. I like 13. This does start right into the action. You're just kind of a nice, cool intro and then bam, meteor hits and it's off to the races. 
it doesn't really slow down at any part unless you want it to. Like, you know, say you go to optional area, you do some side quests, stuff like that. The main story is paced very well, I thought, to where if you just follow that main course, you're not going to be going off on a whole bunch of different tangents right away. You're kind of just on the main story. That's it. Uh, speaking of the story, let, let's talk about this real quick. The voice acting cast is actually really good in this. There were a few names, well, voices, I guess, that I, I recognized. That was my Hangouts. You know, of course, it's a video game, so Steve Blum's in it. Um, I can't remember these guys' names, I'm sorry. But, like, the guy who plays Illidan in Warcraft and the one dude from Spirited Away. You know, the, it, it's, it's a good voice cast, and it actually helps because there's a lot of cinematics. Just like 13, you're going to be spending a lot of time watching things on the main story quest. And I wonder if that's why they went so heavy with optional stuff was if you're getting tired of watching cinematics and doing the QTEs which happen in the cinematics, then go ahead and explore a little bit, spend some time, play with the battle system, stuff like that. Uh, I, I think it works rather well, actually. So there, were, there was no time where I was tired of the main story when I decided to do the main story. So it works out well. Hold on, I gotta mute that. Speaking of the story, you will find the same problem here that we found in 13, a little bit. It very much doesn't care if you understand everything right away. Over time, it will be explained. It's not quite as fatiguing here, but I think that's because, you know, I know all the terms that this universe uses as opposed to when I first started 13, there was, I have no idea what a foul C is, a lissy, what's pulse, what's grandpa, you know, so I, that might be attributed to that. But either way, I think this does a better job of explaining as it goes than 13 did like 13 explained at very specific parts whereas this kind of drops information as you go uh, the beginning section of valhalla uh with caius and lightning really really cool nice way to do a battle tutorial and looked absolutely great but it was a little confusing you had even though i came directly from 13 i was still a little lost on okay what's going on but again like i said it's not as bad as 13. So, character-wise, Noel is a bit of a paper plate. I think it's Watch Out Fireboss who said, he's honorable but good. You know, that kind of thing. He's just kind of there. He is the guy who wants to save the world because he came from Forge's future and X-Men doesn't want to see it happen. His buddies die, doesn't want that. Okay, he's going to do what it takes to fix the future. He's just kind of bland. Not bad, just bland. He's a paladin. And you know how they go. They're just kind of, eh. They're not very interesting. Sarah, on the other hand, is kind of your stand-in. She doesn't understand what's going on. She's just got drug along for the ride. And it works in that regard. But there's not a lot to her character specifically. Like, I did mention on the 13 podcast that I didn't like that 180 personality switch that lightning did just on you know a snap and it was changed she doesn't have really any kind of growth here other than what you would expect for the story like you know yes she doesn't so much mature along the way but she starts to understand consequences and you know those basic human things that you do when you, ex you understand when you're 15 um, so it, it's not really character growth as much as it's just, oh, she's turning into a person. Cool. You know, 
that kind of thing. Uh, Mog is with you the whole time, but again, he's kind of more comedy relief than anything. So I don't think it's as strong in the character department because you don't have those different personalities playing off of each other. Those characters do appear. All of them do appear except for... No, no, they do too. Fang and Vanille show up. Very briefly do they show up. But yeah, Zaz shows up for a little bit. Snow actually becomes part of your party for a little while. You don't get to be in a party with Lightning, but you play as Lightning. And Hope is actually a huge part of the story. And it's pretty cool that you get to see him all grown up. And, you know, he's not as annoying as he was in the first game. So... On the character front, I think it's weaker than 13, but it's not at the point that I would call bad. So while the story itself is interesting and the villain, Caius, is actually quite interesting. I really like his logic for why he's doing what he's doing. It made sense. And even, uh, what's her name? Yule. Like like those characters, the, um, okay, let me, let me try to explain this real quick. So Caius is trying to save this woman, Yule. Yule is a seeress, and she appears in all the timelines at some point. But once the timeline changes, she dies. So as you're going through the game, and you're changing timelines to try to get lightning back and fixing things that went wrong, she's dying in each of these timelines. Whereas the villain, Caius, is trying to stop that from happening. So he's not even necessarily a villain. It's more that he takes a villainous path to accomplish his goals as opposed to you who are upright and good. You know, that kind of thing. So he is actually a pretty cool villain. I like him. Uh, the way they resolve the story, I also kind of appreciate. We'll talk about the ending later, but uh, the story as a whole, I think, is stronger than 13. But the characters are weaker. So it's kind of a trade-off. Again, not that they're bad. It's just, you know, I don't find them as interesting. So there's an upside and a downside to each of these games. It depends on your personal preference, which you prefer. Personally, I prefer character a little more than I prefer overarching story. Because that makes the moment-to-moment -moment interesting. But the overarching story this time was interesting enough to keep me wanting to push it forward. A nice touch in this is, say you do decide to go the optional route and try to collect all 160 fragments as they become available. They do that thing where it's, you know, last time on Final Fantasy 13 too, and then, uh, in a nice touch, it's small, it's stupid, but it's a nice touch, they had each of the voice casts record it. So, you know, this time it'll be being explained by Fang, and then next time it'll be Lightning, and then it'll be Noel. You know, so even if you find yourself sidetracked and you lose track of that main story, every time you boot it up, it will give you a refresher course, which is a very nice little touch. What I don't think is a very nice touch is this one actually has Honest to God platforming in it, which is very weird to do, and Honest to God puzzles, like some of the temporal puzzles. Some of them are fun. Some of them, they will give you a constellation, right? And each one of the large stars in this constellation will be a crystal on the ground. So first you see it from an overhead where you can, okay, that's the shape I have to make. And then it switches back to your usual behind the character. And so it's kind of fun to make that shape. And the crystals alternate colors, so you kind of have to time it right when you connect them. It, it's kind of a fun little mini game. And then there's the one where, you know, you have a pattern of a path to get through, but you can only walk on each square once. You know, those kind of puzzles that I generally find pretty fun. 
The last puzzle is the Astral Clock puzzle, and that thing can rot in hell. It's a very interesting puzzle, and normally I would like it. Like, I like having a logical puzzle I could sit and just kind of work my brain around. But they always came at very inopportune moments where I didn't feel like doing it. So, it may be me personally, because I did end up blitzing through this fairly fast. It was 27 hours, and I did it over the course of a week. So, I was playing a lot of late night sessions, and I don't know, maybe it was just that when I got to them, I didn't feel like thinking. But if you handed me this puzzle while I'm, you know, just walking down the street and like, hey, do this puzzle, I would totally be into doing it. It's just when they presented them here, it either broke the flow or I just didn't feel like doing it. So, your mileage may vary on the puzzles here, but some of them are, most of them actually, are pretty good puzzles that, you know, don't take too much brain power, but the astral clock puzzle, you will have to stop and think about. Now, you may notice that um, I'm kind of treating this not so much as its own game, but more as an extension of another game, and that's kind of what this feels like. This really does feel like a part two in a way that Final Fantasy X2 did not. Ten two failed in this regard pretty hard because everything felt awkward, it was janky, it just didn't make a lot of sense. In 13.2, it feels like they made it as they were finishing up 13. So they flow into each other rather nice in terms of battle system, in terms of the world, in terms of the story. It all flows pretty well into each other. Now, they all have their ending point. Well, okay, this does not have an ending point. This has a to-be-continued at the end. It wraps up this story partially and then, you know, bam, something happens to be continued. Now you can unlock a, an extra coda onto the end of this and it, you'll get an extra scene at the end if you get 160 fragments. Personally, I didn't feel like doing that, but YouTube is a thing, so that was nice. Uh, if you end up playing it and you don't feel like going for it, just YouTube it. You know, you're not losing anything if you didn't feel like going for those fragments anyway. It's better you see the ending before you put it back on the shelf than putting it back on the shelf, not seeing it, and just forgetting about it. Uh, there are some things to do here after the story has ended, New Game Plus-wise. You can go back and turn off certain parts of the timeline. So, let's say, you know you're doing a boss because that's what you have to do in the timeline, but you have to make him weaker so you can attack him because you're not very high level. You can actually go back, tweak parts of the timeline, and fight that boss at his full strength to get a, an extra fragment. And it it's very interesting the way it does that. Because a lot of these places you might not see at all during your main playthrough. Like, I saw a pretty good portion of them, and they're on a graph, so you know, like, like a, uh, think of uh, a line that has bits shooting off of it, like timelines shooting off of it. So you know whether or not there's something to get there. So you're not really confused on, okay, am I done all the timelines? You know, it, it's very upfront with everything it has to do with its optional content. And it's nice that they might, you know, you know, they understand that you might not want to do all this in one cycle, kind of like, you know, 13. You can, you know, finish the main story, put it down for a little bit, come back, do all the optional stuff. 
I like the way they handle this more. Now, what I found interesting was Triace, you know, the, the Valkyrie profile people, they were behind a good chunk of this. And I wonder if that's that influence on this or not. And if that's the case, Triace needs to work a little more with Final Fantasy. Sadly, I don't have a lot of experience with Star Ocean. It's only, you know, Valkyrie profile. So I couldn't tell you if Star Ocean's a lot like this. And one major thing this game did was make me rethink Final Fantasy 13. Not in terms of its story, because like I said, this one's, you know, a little, it's a little weaker in the story department. It, it, it's more the battle system that this game really expands upon and all just all the things that involve the gameplay. But I wonder if I now have a better grasp of the 13 battle system, if some of my opinion would change on 13. But I don't know. We'll have to see what Lightning Returns does because I know that changes the battle system completely again. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, as for right now, I'm probably not going to replay 13 just yet. I'm going to let it sit a few years. But we're not talking about 13. We're talking about 13-2. So in summary, like Final Fantasy 13-2, I think, is the stronger game in terms of gameplay, in terms of how it's designed. I think it's stronger. I, I think it's weaker in the story elements, a lot of it having to do with the characters. But overall, I think it's an improvement on 13, like I said. And it's just kind of interesting because so far, this trilogy... Out of the two, they're getting better as they go. And it gives me a little bit of hope for Lightning Returns, because I never really blasted through that. I only played a very small amount. I mean, I remember it really drastically changes the battle system. So I'm curious to see if I like that more than the stock standard 13 battle system. So we'll have to see how it goes. I guess if I had to put a pin on this, I would say if you're looking to play one of the 13 trilogy try two first that's the closest i think to traditional final fantasy because lightning returns is very different so yeah give it a shot and i guess we will catch you next time no no don't close it yet all right i think that about wraps us up here uh oh one thing i did want to state is so on past Final Fantasies, I've tried to talk about the themes that I've picked up on. So far, both 13 and 13.2 are playing into the same theme. And I'm pretty sure Lightning Returns will play into it as well. So I'll probably talk about that theme then, like the theme of the whole series, because it's kind of a cool theme. But anyway, we will catch you next time when we do Lightning Returns. We're almost done, guys. Thank you very much for sticking along, and we will catch you next time. <laughs>